0: Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy and I am your host for today's episode. Coming up on October 14th, Apologetics Canada is excited to announce our latest launch event. The launch event is an opportunity for us to look back, give thanks, and look ahead. This will be a live and online event where we thank donors and share the AC vision. So make sure you head to ApologeticsCanada.com slash events to register to hang out with us in person at Northview Community Church, or to view it online. On October 28th, the AC Leadership Summit is back. The Leadership Summit seeks to bring together aspiring Christian leaders from across the West Coast for an incredible weekend to empower, equip, and engage. This is an opportunity for young professionals aged 19 to 30 to meet one another and grow together as Christian leaders. So make sure you head to ApologeticsCanada.com slash Leadership Summit because this event is by application process only and spots will fill up. So again, that's October 28th to October 30th. We're excited to have you and hope to see you there. And now for today's episode, Defund the Morality Police. In discussing morality, one question that often arises is whether the application of said morality is subjective or objective. Also, the foundation of that morality also comes into discussion when comparing a secular worldview with a religious one. Recently, a young Iranian woman, Masa Amini, lost her life while in the custody of Iran's morality police after the 22-year-old was arrested for improper dressing of her hijab. This seems to be the straw that broke the backs of many Iranians, particularly women, who are already dissatisfied with the country's focus on Sharia law. Join Andy, Troy, and Wes as they discuss the roots of morality and whether the Western world has its own morality police. Enjoy the podcast. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the AC Podcast. I'm here today with Andy and Wes, just the three of us today. Um, AC's got a lot coming down the pipe right away we got a lot of cool things going on some different ventures that we'll be getting into but i want to thank everyone who joined us this past sunday for the ac literary expedition um it's such an incredible time to be able to have so many people on the on the acle just conversing about a topic you know made in canada with with two two doctors that are right at the at the front lines and so it, it thank you so much for everyone who signed up Again, the resources will be coming out for those that might have missed out. But coming up on October 14th, we are excited to have our next launch event.
1: Yeah, Troy, we are looking forward to our launch event on October 14th. We've got staff coming from all over. Uh, Wes, you're joining us from Ontario. Steve's coming from Alberta. We've even got uh, one of our adjunct speakers, Raphael, that was a part of our conversation on MADE uh, with the ACLE, like you were talking about, that you can access on our website we're going to all be coming for our launch event which is a part of the apologetics Canada tradition of looking back, giving thanks and then looking ahead. So this is an opportunity to be able to interact with us and see what we've been up to in the ministry of apologetics Canada and then we're going to be talking about where is apologetics Canada heading. This is an event that we look forward to each year and we would love for you to join us. You can join us either in person at Northview Community Church Again, October 14th at 7 p.m., or you can join us online. We'll be uh, streaming that for those of you that are in uh, various places in Canada. So we'd love to have you join us. And looking forward to uh, bringing you out here, Wes. Are you looking forward to some some good weather? Man, we've been hitting the, the 30s around here lately. Yeah, it'll be AC in the flesh. <laughs> we don't get too many
2: opportunities <laughs> for the whole team to get together. But yeah, I, hopefully your weather is... I mean, the weather over here, it's... It's just a Canadian tradition to talk about the weather at the beginning of every podcast or conversation, right? The the weather out here has cooled down quite a bit. So if we can get out there and get some BC sunshine, that'd be wonderful.
1: Now, if you want to uh, register for that, just go to Apologize Canada's website. Uh, We'll also be uh, emailing out info on that. But yeah, register and we'd love to see you. Yep. Well, we're going to get right into today's episode and
0: I want to swing this over to Uh, our dear friend, Wes. Wes, what are we talking about today?
2: We're going to be talking about some of the political stuff that's been going on in the country of Iran as of late. Uh, If you've been watching the news, this might have popped up, uh, but there's a lot going on. And I think a lot of it is being overshadowed maybe by some other things that I think are... Legitimately worth talking to. There's still a lot going on in Ukraine. There's the, the weather on the East Coast that's been absolutely ridiculous with the hurricane. And I think, you know, there's a lot happening in our world and it's so easy to be uh, bombarded and overshadowed. But I think it's worth talking about this one story uh, about this uh, young Iranian woman, Masa Amini, who was only 22 years old. And uh, basically the the skinny of it, the lowdown, was that she was visiting the capital of Iran, uh, Tehran, Tehran, rather, uh, with her family. And on September 13th, she was confronted at a metro station while walking with her brother and was arrested by Iran's, what they called their... Uh, morality police, which might sound weird to us, but they have a, an official branch of the government that is kind of referred to as the morality police. Who are kind of infamous for going around and picking up young women, and that's what they did for Masa, and she was taken to prison for what they refer to as re-education classes, because the accusation was that she was wearing her headscarf improperly. And uh, uh, Iran is a it's a, a theocracy it's an islamic theocracy so the official title of the country is the iranian uh is the islamic republic of iran and basically since the late 1970s the constitution of iran has been sharia law islamic law and so what's a theocracy a theocracy is a government that's ruled by uh like the, the god as your Head of state, basically. So like a, a a democracy is ruled by an elected individual who sits at the head. An autocracy is, you know, when people govern themselves and there are other kinds, right? Um, ancient Israel at one point was a theocracy where God was... You know, calling the shots. And so basically with a theocracy, you have the religious officials at the top of the state totem pole. Mm-hmm. And they did actually have a, a an elected leader um, who is the head of state. Uh, and that individual is above the president. But, but the governing documents, they're sort of, if we want to call it a constitution, is uh, the rules of Islamic jurisprudence is Sharia law. And so because of that, you have things like regulations and laws governing morality, you
1: know, how to, how to dress, um, morally. Which we should probably just note in case people are wondering before 1979, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Iran was very Western. Yeah. Uh, from what I've read and the way that they dressed and and, and whatnot. So you, have this movement towards uh, a Islamic state. It, it wasn't that way, and then it, it became mm. that way. So again, from what I've read, you you know, people have been pushing back against this movement and this morality police. I believe actually in Iran they they refer to this as a guidance patrols. Mm. Is is there a, you know like is more of a direct translation? But they, they, there's been these protests and pushbacks to this movement to an Islamic State basically since the 80s. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My mom, who was a missionary kid growing up in uh, India, has stories of going to Iran and doing things like her family would go camping in Afghanistan. These aren't things you do in that, you know, corner of the world anymore. It was a very different situation politically and in terms of its like stability. Um, and so what what we're ended up with, what we've ended up with is situations that lead to this particular situation where, you know, this young woman, she was taken, she was arrested. And usually, from what I've looked into, these re-education classes only take about an hour. But something happened where the authorities say that They say that the official kind of line on this is that Masa suffered a heart attack and then she was left in a coma, but her family says she was abused by authorities and um, she ended up passing away. And so there have been massive protests all over Iran and protests in Iran is not unusual. There were some pretty big protests back in 2009 over kind of similar issues. But I think where we see a big difference in this one is that this protest has been mostly led by women and mm-hmm. um, they've been doing things like going out in the public and protesting by taking off their hijabs, their head coverings and burning them and both young and old women, which is really putting their life in their own hands yeah. because it's that's illegal. And, someone has already been killed over, you know, improperly wearing a hijab, someone who was actually wearing the hijab, she was just doing it inappropriately. So to take that off in public, to burn that in uh, a mode of protest, that's, that's really quite something.
1: I I think too, it's just probably helpful to, to note if you're, if you're kind of new to this as, as I am as well. And as I've just been researching it more, uh, realizing that, that this didn't happen in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. This again, these protests have been going on, and there's been this protest that's been going on called White Wednesday, and these these have been going on for some time now, where uh, you know women, like you say, Wes, are pushing back against these dress codes and the hijab being one of them, and so the, the, you know this lady not wearing her hijab properly, and well, I don't know whether or not it seems like unclear whether or not this was was her protesting or just just being out and about sort of thing. But, you know, it's not like this just just happened. This has been happening. So I I get really the sense that this has been, uh, you know, boiling under the surface for a while. And now it's kind of erupting. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, I think everything that uh, I have been looking at has basically described this as a powder keg. And this was Mm. the match that was lit that blew everything up. And even I was listening to, there was this uh, Iranian woman who was a journalist and she did this segment. Uh, Maybe we'll link it in the show notes. But she was saying, you know, it's been years now that women in Iran have all felt like we could, we could have been masa, like that could have been us. We're just kind of expecting something to break this and something to go really wrong because there's been a lot of um, just kind of, I don't know, a fed upness is a, a word but fed upness with the the political situation in Iran and the oppression that's been going on. And I think we in the West, it's, it's good to r- remind ourselves that, you know, these kind of things are still happening in 2022. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of removed from them, but um, as we'll, we'll probably get into, maybe we're not as removed from kind of this morality policing as, as we might've thought.
0: Yeah, it, it's funny mm-hmm. that you... You know, that you would say that because when when I first read the article and I saw morality police, I was like, oh, is this is this satire? Because I've I've seen it. I've seen it said or sorry, I've heard it said all over the place. What are you, the morality police? And they're usually right up there with the grammar police. And but as I kept reading, I was like, (laughs) oh, this is a legitimate thing. Like, this is a morality policing you know, they got badges and everything. And I was <laughs>
1: badges and everything. Can we, can we just pause here? We got it. Can we go back to the grammar police? Cause that, that is a thing. Yeah. That is a thing, man. And I, I don't, I think there are some people that have, that have given themselves a badge Uh Absolutely. on the, the grammar police. I I don't know about you guys, but like, uh, I, I have, I have offended the grammar police on many occasions, uh, in my, in my life. Uh, I had, a. Thankfully we have Steve Kim that works for us because often he'll catch things that I say or, or write and be like, Andy, no. Uh, and so I'm like, bless you, brother. Bless you. Cause uh, you uh, you've, you've definitely been a help, but, but, there but like, it's funny, right? We we could joke about it, but there definitely are people that take the grammar policing to uh, a whole nother yep. level, but for sure the morality policing that goes on in in our own culture and i think this is an important uh idea for us to to consider has reached i i would say uh some some really troubling and concerning uh let me let me say that differently uh, i would also say that morality policing in our in our own time here in canada has you know reached an all-time high Uh, I think about some of the laws that have been passed as of recent, and just even the amount of fear that we face in our own country over morality policing is is concerning. Mm -hmm. And like Wes, as as you as you've thought about this, and Troy, and as you've thought about this, like it's an interesting question, you know, morality policing from from the Christian perspective. Like like how does how does Christianity view this idea of you know tolerance because when you look at what's happening in Iran right now we cannot paint this as a one-sided issue there are people on both sides of the issue in Iran there are those that are ultra conservative uh muslims and those that are not from from what i've read uh, you can actually find protests on both sides of this where you can see women walking down the streets of iran you know in full hijab that are you know uh, advocating for these sorts of dress codes. So it, this to me, I think is a, is a major question that you, you can see in a place like Iran, you can see like in a place like Canada, how do we navigate? How do we navigate, you know, a culture that's divided now? How divided is Iran? I don't, I don't know, but they're clearly, they've clearly reached a boiling point, uh, on, on
0: this issue you know you're talking about in Christian culture, you know, this the this morality standard coming up. I mean, I think it goes without saying that I think people with the best intentions, they're trying to build their morality standard on in our circles on the Bible, on the word of God and what it says in in every situation. But even just given a prime example of how quickly be, we become divided is is you see a pastor fall into an allegation. There's a fall from grace and people want to absolutely tear him down and crucify him. And he's already been, say this pastor has already been lifted up into a scenario where he's considered a celebrity pastor, or they say his doctrine is a little too flashy or it's off or whatever. But then you take a look at something that just came out two days ago from Maverick City, where they had to sit down one of their leaders, Dante Bow. It's a public statement where it says, due to behavior that is inconsistent with our core values and beliefs, we have decided to put a pause on our professional relationship with Dante Beau. Decisions like these are not easy because of the level of nuance, both professionally and personally, but we felt it necessary to address. Now, I won't read the whole article, but to me, that sounded like it was done respectfully, like it was done in love. They said, mm-hmm. we're putting a pause on our professional. They were very specific in, in their wording, but yet mm-hmm. people are so divided in like, well— but we've seen Justin Bieber with Maverick City we've why Dante Bowl, they had a difference of opinions it, it's like we're screaming for accountability on one side but then when you see accountability done the right way people are still angry and frustrated cuz their standard is their love for that person if you didn't love that person or you didn't actually benefit from that person being in that position then your sta- then your standards going to be different than the next person. And so I think the church will always be divided and people will always be divided because our standard of ethic in this area or standard of morality is always going to be different, unfortunately. That's a really good point, Troy. And I think because Christianity
2: does have an ethic and standard that we call people who identify with Christ too, then there's always the danger of Prescribing moralistic systems in a way that does collapse into legalism and moralism. And how I would basically define legalism is it, it's a way of acting, in that your actions can either hold right favor with God or earn it. Mm. And and the way you act in doing those things is moralistic. Now that doesn't mean you know we're not moral people when we're Christians. But if we're acting like our our moral precepts and uh, both the the way we think about morality and the way we practice morality is done in a way that earns favor with God or her, holds our favor with God, then we really don't understand the message of the gospel. And that's why I think it gets tricky with these types of things because in one sense we do want people to live right. <laughs> Right, we don't want people to live in a way that is inappropriate or defaming to the name of Christ. If they if they claim to be Christians, but the exact same time, we don't want to make it as if that's the be all and end all. That you know, as long as you're following the Ten Commandments, then you're doing what's right. You're taking those boxes off, and God loves you. And so that's where I think it can get tricky with moralism, but. In the end, I, I, I do think that, that Christianity is different than other world religious systems because it, it's not about that uh, right. when it really boils down to the gospel. Right, that's good.
1: And where, where I see that derailing is when you get the emphasis wrong. The, and this, I, I think, is an important point with regards to Christianity. Christianity uh, understands that God is a God of love. Got, and, and this is an important thing to appreciate. So fundamentally, God is a god of love, not a god of rules. And where I see people getting tripped up with that particularly within legalism is they get they get that switched mm-hmm. where it's God is a god of rules and so I need to follow rules to gain God's love versus the other way around. If God is a god of love, then because he loves me and desires my good, God has rules. And it's like you're saying, "Wes, we're not saying that there aren't rules. There's there's clearly rules, but you need to understand the emphasis behind them it's it's not so that you can try to earn God's favor. You already have yeah. God's favor. Yeah. God loves you, but God wants your good, so God's you know, directing you in the same way that I direct my kids. you know and and i I've, I've used this example before, but I tell my kids, right, especially when they're young right i I had cupboards that were locked and would say, "Hey, don't go into that cupboard because you know I understand there's cleaning supplies in there, but a four year old doesn't understand that, you know or or I'm telling my you know. Eight-year-old, hey! Uh, if a bottle has a skull and crossbones on it, don't drink from it. Sort of idea. Now, my kids though could easily misunderstand dad and be like, "Oh man, dad's all about rules. Can't go in that cupboard. Can't drink this. Like what? A, <laughs> you know, what a jerk." Or they could be like, "Man, I don't want to drink from this bottle because dad's got these rules, and I mean, I don't want to break those rules because then dad's going to be upset yeah. with me." You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, no. You, you've, you've missed the point. Dad loves you. You know, I love my kids. Thus, I'm telling them, hey. Don't go there don't don't do that sort of thing this this is having the emphasis in, in the right place with regards to how we understand our interactions with God who loves us but who also um, has rules and is directing us that's such a good point and it also makes me think of
0: right down that road of talking about your the way you see God I think there's also a level of people that are walking in a resentment in the relationship with God that they have not actually reconciled because If I see someone who also calls himself a Christian and they they seem to be living a very, I'll use the term free, freer level of Christianity, like they're, for the legalist's sake, like they're getting tattoos and earrings and they're listening to rap music and wear chains and stuff. (laughs) Um, It's almost like you've seen a, (laughs) Troy, (laughs) it's like, if you're looking at them from this vantage point, it's like, man, I sacrificed all these things. I sacrificed this, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, because, the, the well, I thought that's what God wanted, that's what the Bible says, so you can't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing that, and I, I think they don't actually believe themselves as much as they think they do. They don't actually believe that it has to be like this, it's just I've done this for so long that to change mm-hmm. it would actually be painful, and so I'm going to devote my life to making sure people change around me, lest I be the one who changes and really looks at the scriptures again. I think one of the
2: interesting things that I've
0: seen in my young adulthood, and
2: I've heard other kind of uh, typically leftist leftist pundits, even individuals like Sam Harris and Joe Rogan, who would identify largely as more on the liberal spectrum than on the conservative spectrum, they've mentioned on you know various podcasts and and YouTube videos and what what have you, the, the fact that twenty years ago it seems to have been the people and mainly kind of the conservative religious right that were more censorial that 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 were part of a censorship movement in kind of a moralistic way and that that's completely switched that we've seen this movement that before you had people policing you know whether it was the language in music or uh kind of scenes in movies or and and pushing against that kind of stuff because it was obscene or or what have you and now that has switched into this uh, kind of, you know, whether it's going along with uh, LGBTQ stuff or, you know, you can't say this political correctness, that kind of thing. Uh, the left on the political spectrum has largely been more of the, quote unquote, moral police in that regard. and and guys like Joe Rogan on his podcast, talk about how weird that seems. Because he says, you know, when I was growing up, his parents were hippies. And he says when, when he was growing up, uh, the left were the were the tolerant people. They were the people that were just like, let live and let live. And now that seems to come completely flipped. And the left are the people who are on the campuses trying to shut down free speech and uh, deplatforming and canceling. And he just kind of says, you know, I'm being called this ultra right-wing extremist. I'm not. I'm just a liberal from 20, 25 years ago right. who's still trying to be a liberal from 25 years ago, but because the left moved so far and the conservatives didn't, it seems like now I'm on the conservative end of the line, but I'm not.
1: I completely agree and this is this is uh what we have seen and we continue to see. And here in Canada, we're also seeing weaponized within the legal system so that our legal system now is also uh, it's not because it's not just censorship anymore now that now there are um, legalities at play in in uh, different laws that we have here, particularly in Canada and continue uh, to 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 have where one of the one, of the, you know, if you're from Canada, you, you're you well aware of different laws that have come into place that really put a lot of fear in, into uh, Christians and in different organizations I know so many Christian organizations right now that are creating all sorts of policies and that are thinking through their legal you know options with regards to you know what do I do if the morality police here in Canada come after me for what I say or do you know and I'm and and our organizations take into court? Like this isn't like conspiracy theory stuff, right? Like this, this is this is this is real happening, uh, you know, here in Canada, uh, and we're seeing it happen happen elsewhere as well. So I mean, it's, so it's interesting to me, Wes, as we're talking about Iran right now, and we're talking about what's happening there with their morality police, and to realize that uh, we're not we're not so different uh, from what's going on here. But the ir- irony is, in Iran, you've got. The morality police, with within a religious context, here in Canada, you've got the morality police within a secular context. It, it's challenging, right? You know, it's also a lot of fear, and how how do we navigate this? Because I what I see happening is, and this is just something that as humans we're constantly dealing with is is how do we get along with each other? Uh, like how do we live in a free democracy where we disagree with each other and you know we have to get along but it, this is also a question you know bringing it back to uh Troy where you're like talking about this from a christian perspective in the church we have the same problem how do we get along with each other how do we how do we do that but yet at the same time uh and this is critical please hear me uh holding to the truth of scripture and allowing scripture to be our authority allowing the holy spirit to convict and to guide and doing so in relationship, it's it's not easy, it's messy. There's an aspect of it where I think we need to get real with
0: ourselves and realize this has been happening since Genesis. I mean, Cain and Abel were brothers. Like, you know, you look that into modern day, it's like you, these are people within the same family, the same context, they were brothers. And, you know, Cain killed Abel over an offering, you know, over something that had literally nothing to do with each other directly, but had everything to do with them worshiping a God in relationship. And I think Mm -hmm. if we were able to look at it from just be honest with ourselves, okay, this is a bit in a battle from, from the jump, then, then moving forward, we see Jesus's redemption and only Jesus is what really brings us together. And I think it's part of keeping the main thing, the main thing, like is Jesus Lord of your life? Okay. Well, if, and we will say this over and over again, then that has to be the foundation we build on. It can't be the people we feel we're called to reach. It can't be the demographic I'm from, this my skin color, my way of preaching and teaching. It has to start with with Jesus. But again, I think that comes back to this personal relationship where you look at Cain and Abel. They both looked at at who God was in that period of time very differently, which is what brought their, which is why their offerings were different, why the work they put into their offering was different. And how do we move forward? I think that's the, that's the big age old question, but I think you hit the nail on the head, Andy, like well, you can't, it starts together,
1: you know, it starts together and it ends together. Well, isn't it interesting that when Jesus is teaching people, you know, and we've talked a lot about this, if anybody spent any time <laughs> around me, was what, what is, what is Jesus constantly doing? He's constantly pointing people to lay the foundation of their life in their relationship with God. Make sure that you get that right. Make sure that you love God and that you understand that God loves you and that that relationship is healthy. And then I think it's so interesting what Jesus does as he's constantly asked, right, what's the greatest commandment? He points everybody, you know, back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. But what does he do? He adds to it Leviticus 19. He he adds to it this idea that if you love God, then you're going to love what God loves and, and God loves people. So there is this inherent re- like relationship that goes along with your relationship with God, and your relationship with God, you know, is your relationship with people, and God wants to help you to have a healthy relationship with people. But we fall into what you were talking about, Wes. We fall into legalism, where we, where we get that that relationship dynamics screwed up. I know we we've, we've pointed at you know, secular culture and we've pointed at Islam being the morality police. But I mean, honestly, we got to be real with ourselves. It's so easy for us to fall into the morality police. And I think that that innate sense of justice that that
2: you highlighted, Troy, when you talk about the Cain and Abel story, I mean, Cain's response is, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of a, a dumb question. And God's response is literally like, the blood of your brother cries out from the ground to me. There's and I two think of y'all. What do you that, mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who else are you supposed to be keeping? Um, there's a... Uh, and I think that that's something innate in our souls as image bearers of God. That when we see something like what what's going on in Iran or other places around the world, whether that's Ukraine or so on and so forth, is that we have this innate visceral response against injustice. And I think that's something that that strikes me is very interesting, um, because you know uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had this um, this famous quote, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And I think that's true, but I don't think we can just assume that because if we're assuming natural secular materialism, we're all clinging to an insignificant rock hurtling through a meaningless universe towards eternal extinction. But the arc of the universe is long and bends towards justice. Like you can't, you can't hold those two together. And I think as This is something that we can speak into our culture and say, yes, we should be concerned about these things. But let's remind you why you are concerned.
1: But I think this is, there's some irony going on here, Wes. It's really important for us to discuss in our culture, because one of the mottos of our culture right now is not to judge. Hmm. Yeah. Like we, we hear that so much, like, you know, you know, who are you to judge sort of idea? And that this idea that we aren't, we're not allowed and we shouldn't, we shouldn't judge each other or whatever, but yet you can't live like that. We all, we all have to make judgments, and we, d- we all do make judgments, and I am reminded of what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, where he challenges people say, and, and says to them, don't judge. And what we see here in this scripture, and a lot of people will, will grab onto that verse and be like, see? Not supposed to judge. And he's like, no, 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 you didn't keep reading. Mm-hmm. It, as yeah. you keep reading, what you know, what does he say? He actually tells you to judge. The problem is he says you need to judge rightly. And the challenge with you and I judging rightly is that we tend to wanna, as Jesus says in in his teaching, we tend to want to take the, you know, sliver out of somebody else's eye, but the whole time we got a tree or a log, you know, in our own eye. And other, and then Jesus goes on to say, hey, why don't you deal with yourself, get yourself right, and and then you can help somebody else. But, in, but until you do that, all, all you're doing is hypocrisy. Yeah. And, and so that points us, though, back to this idea that, hey, you, you need to get your life with the Lord right. And when, you, and when God becomes the authority and God's scripture becomes the authority, now that's where your life is founded on, and now you can help somebody else. But until then, no.
2: And that's where I think um, you're exactly right, Andy, and that it's the standard issue. You know where do we find the standard? Where do we find the basis for making these types of judgments, these type of proclamations on other individuals? And this is why, you know, scripture is scripture. You know, what, the the cries of the Protestant Reformation were both sola scriptura, scripture alone, but also tota scriptura, scripture within its entirety. Because if you only take bits and parts of scripture, you could end up with justification for moralism. If you're just reading yeah. the law and you're just reading you know, the, the sermon on the Mount without the context of everything else. And also, you know, Paul's writings, the general epistles, these all give a framework because it's so easy. I was having a conversation with someone the other day where they were saying that they were trying to convince me that Christianity taught that you had to earn your way to God. And I'm like, no, friend, like with all due respect, that's the opposite of what Christianity teaches. And He was finding justifications by cherry-picking verses here and there, where he's saying, you know, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. And what he failed to realize was that Scripture interprets Scripture, and that no one saying of Jesus or Paul or James or John or Isaiah or Jeremiah, they don't exist in vacuums. And that the grand narrative unanimously and beautifully describes the fact that, you, like you said earlier, uh, Andy, very clearly, you know, you're saved not by your works, but you're saved for your works. And therefore you're already accepted. And so you don't have to try to earn and, uh, work towards that acceptance.
1: You know, it's one of the reasons why I say truth plus truth doesn't equal Mm. truth. And, And I think that really catches people off guard, but you're like, you can cherry pick truth out of the Bible. You know, that, that verse is there and you can, you know, Cherry pick whatever you want. You can pick, you know, different verses, but and you can make the Bible say whatever you want to say if you do that. Again, truth plus truth doesn't necessarily equal truth. I mean, I could just pick certain verses out of the Bible and make the the gospel look like health and wealth if, if I want. Mm.
0: I, I think for some listeners who might have come to today's episode and were kind of hoping that they were just gonna get a, you know, a a, a political commentary on this situation. I hope you really see that, like what we're trying to achieve here is there's there's an element of this where you kind of got to expose the roots of how humanity gets to places like having such a thing as morality police or cancel culture, and I really think that's what we're trying to uncover. There's so much around this this horrible situation with this young lady. It's very vague, you know we we don't know for sure what exactly happened to her, and I don't think it's ignorant or uh, disingenuous for us to not you know dive directly into what happened was wrong because the truth is we don't ap- actually know what happened but the one thing we're pointing at is the things that led up to this even being an opportunity where we are as people that we you know we hold these standards and we can just pull up on people and throw them in the back of a vehicle and say hey we're going to teach you the way this should be yeah that that that's a very uncomfortable sentiment but Western, the Western society can't sit over here and look at Iran and be like, that is absolutely horrible what you are doing. I can't believe you're doing that as if we're not doing it our own way. We just so happen to have more freedom to flood the streets with it, to flood our social media with it. I mean, you look at the very fact with the scenario that social media that there's countless reasons, but social media is clearly blocking protest things about what's going on in Iran. And it's it's things like that. We're, we want to say rah, 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 but yet our meta or whatever you want to call it is blocking people talking about what's going on there. And that in of itself is a conversation.
1: All right, that's such a good point, Troy, because we do it in a more sly way. Yeah. Where uh, right now in Iran, they have shut down the internet. We, we, shut down, we shut down the internet too, but we do it in a different way. They, they call it shadow banning. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have ever been shadow banned, but... Basically, if you what happens is if you say something that a social media platform doesn't like, or their algorithms are set to catch, then you can say it. You know, you're you you can There's post no it, see it, but ain't, ain't nobody gonna <laughs> see it because, because it, they will basically make whatever you've said like an island. Nothing is connecting to it, so you've been able to say it on on your social media. But they're they're not helping anybody, helping anybody see that. And li- listen, like I know somebody could be listening to this and be like, "Yeah, but Andy, some people are saying some truly terrible things." Mm. Uh, I I agree. Uh, there there is some the uh, we have trust me at Apologics <laughs> Canada. We have seen some interesting things online. There's no doubt. What this comes back to, though, is this idea of judgment. Okay, so we're pointing our finger over at Iran and saying, you know that this is wrong. Well, why is it wrong? What, what becomes a standard? standard? What, how, how are we? Yeah. What, how are we judging these things? And then we got our own things going on in uh, the West, right? Or here in Canada and we're pointing finger, oh, that's wrong. Or this is wrong. Well, how are we figuring that out? Well, and I think this is where, uh, especially in our day and age, some
2: people get very uncomfortable with the idea of imposing the quote unquote Western morality on people of other cultures. And while I think there's something to say that there are cultural differences, I think there's also something to say that, you know, morality is objective. It's not subjective. And so while we see oppression in one society over another, I think we can say, and once again, this is a fundamentally Christian idea, that all humans have equal worth. And so, on that basis, when we do see people being treated unjustly, it's not us imposing as some sort of, you know, uh, moral colonialism on another society. I think there is a place and a time to go and, you know, uh, beat the Nazis <laughs> because uh, that's the right thing to do within the grand scheme of thing. And I that grand scheme of things. And I think historically within Christianity, this has been one of the the trademarks of historical Christianity, if I can put my historian hat back on, going back to the earliest Christian era, when some of the the biggest objections to Christianity, um, the, uh, the Roman writer, writer Celsus in the second century, he said that Christians want and are able to only convince the foolish, dishonorable, and stupid. And then he outlines who he thinks are the foolish, dishonorable, and stu- stupid, slaves, women, and little children. And when we look at earliest Christianity, there were a lot of slaves, there were a lot of women, and there were a lot of children, people who didn't have agency within their own society. And actually the Emperor Julian notes that he says, the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor and downtrodden, but ours as well. And he's basically like, guys, they're making us look bad (laughs) because we take care of ours, but they take care of ours. They take care of theirs and ours. And I think this is something where when we find that grounding within something that's substantial like scripture, we can look at something like what's going on in Iran and we can say, that's, that's wrong. And I don't know if, you know, a political inter- intervention is always the right solution, but I think even just to point out that what is happening there to women under the guise of kind of a political system or a religious theocracy, it's not right. And the reason we know it's not right is because our souls are crying out for a justice that only makes sense when we read scripture and see the God who doesn't live up to a standard of justice, but justice is actually an outpouring of his identity and his character.
1: Now, I th- think this is a challenge going on right now in the church where the church is trying to navigate right now how to deal with with what's going on in our own culture and the fear. That exists in our own culture, over our own morality policing that's going on uh, in a variety of different ways. And uh, with AC, I mean, man, we see this from medical uh, assistance in in dying, you know, made here in Canada to the LGBTQ plus agenda. Like, there are there is just so much uh, fear right now to talk on on certain issues. And and I tell you, one of the, I was speaking recently. At Praxis Church, and I was I was saying out there in Kelowna, we have the church has has got to be willing to talk on these controversial subjects, these challenging issues. We can't just be in fear uh, because if we remain silent on these foundational issues of human value, this is this is to go against what we stand for with regards to justice. I mean. You know, with what you're saying, Wes, and what you read for us, uh, it reminds me of Christian leaders such as Gregory of Nyssa writing in the fourth century and giving one of the first recorded arguments against slavery outside of the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Like, here you've got this early Christian leader, and he's arguing—and I, I love his argument, by the way. It's it, it's fantastic, because he says, you know, how much money did you get for selling that that person made in the image of God? You know, and, and he just goes on to say, like the audacity to think that you are somehow, you know, uh, above, you know, that person created by God and in His image, that you believe that you can uh, sell and trade that individual. And for the Christian worldview, this makes a lot of sense, man. We're saying, listen, you have value, and we want to contend for that value, but that value is founded, founded in God and that there is there is a foundation as we come back to who God is and as we come back to scripture that that we are basing that on and we're advocating for and and i i truly believe as the church we cannot be ruled by fear and we must speak up uh on these on these issues and remain true uh to our christian values one of the mottos i've been living by these days guys <laughs> is uh hold Hold tightly to truth and freely love yeah. people. But I'll tell you right now, that's not easy to do. I think we just got to, we really got to
0: vet our own contradictions in loving people, um, especially as Westerners. You know, we, we I don't want to, I'll just kind of say it like it is. I mean, we got people that are saying what they're doing to the women in the Middle East is horrible and awful. And yet Pornhub is a $97 billion organization you know mm-hmm. based off of the backs of primarily women who have been put in, in a sense, it's slave trade is what it is it is a sexual slave trade they are a 97 billion dollar organization and so don't you dare <laughs> start pointing the finger over to these other countries if you are someone who is actively engaging in helping build that
1: empire it's interesting troy on that note they, there was an article recently that came out in the news with regard to the amount of child pornography within that, uh, particularly Through the roof. Yeah. And, and then it was interesting because they were actually indicating visa, uh, as a part of this going, you know, visa knew what was happening and what people were paying for and using that money for it. And, and right now, like there's a, there's a lawsuit that's, that's going on, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that's just one of many. There's many things that we could point out yeah. where it's like, it's easy for us, isn't it? To point our finger at what's going on. And trust me, like, man, our hearts go out to what's going on in Iran right now. It's interesting when you read about that, like, how are you going to solve that one? That, that's a, like, they're in a really tough position with what's going on out there. But listen, we'd be naive to think that we don't have our own challenges going on right here. Yeah, I think
2: we live in a really tricky age because we're, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure more of these things are happening. Um, I guess you could argue for that, whether it's like natural disasters or political turmoil in different places around the world. I just think we live in a time when we're just, the news cycle is so fast and we're being exposed to so much that I don't think yeah. <laughs> our brains were ever adapted to handle so much information in such a a short period of time
1: well to come to terms with just how evil the world is perhaps as a way of putting it just how much brokenness there is yeah and 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 so much all at
2: once right like we just yeah. start to wrap yeah. our heads around what's happening in ukraine and then um something in west africa happens and then there's yeah. a tsunami and then there's um you know a, a Iran and there's <laughs>
0: why isn't the media talking about
1: this? A hurricane, <laughs> you there. know, <laughs> heading towards Florida and <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, and and Sri Lanka still in political turmoil and you know the, the so on and so forth and there's just so much going on and I think it's hard sometimes we almost feel numb because it feels like there's so much happening that at the exact same time we're desensitized and I think or we... we
1: become incredibly combative. Yeah, it's true. It's and true. I think
0: that's why we. I think that's why we're seeing a lot of poor journalism mm. because people are like. Man, I got to jump on this quick because this is happening too. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, but we're definitely, there's being more exposed, right? Like not every single horrible thing that happened in the Bible times is recorded in the Bible. There's very specific moments, but not everyone was running around telling everybody of the trash that they were doing. Yeah, and so I totally relate to people who are just
2: feeling... You know, overwhelmed by all of this, mm-hmm. we just came out of the pandemic, uh, and things are things in Canada are just being lifted in terms of travel restrictions, and that's a whole another can of worms. And so, I think I I can sympathize with people who are just like you know, with the big sigh, and it's like I don't I don't know what to do. And I think to some degree, um, it's good to at least minimally stay educated. And also it's a good reminder to just pray. There's just so many things to pray for. Uh, and we can uh, rally and raise money and awareness and all of those things are good and needed. But our first response should always be to lift up what's going on in prayer. Because um, it didn't catch God off guard, but uh, he he invites what's us you know, to lift our cares and prayers and supplications to him. And he can... Um, you know, both do a work there and in our own hearts that are struggling to grasp all of these things.
1: And, and just consider what prayer is. Um, prayer reminds us because I I can't help but think, man, if Jesus were were right here, going, "Hey, you want me to speak to this issue?" Where he'd be like, mm-hmm. "You need to know that God Let's get loves Jesus you." Jesus on the line. Can we get right? Jesus? We're bringing Jesus the on the line. You know, Jesus. Like, Let's like, get to a clip. <laughs> man, God, God loves you. And you need to lean into your relationship with the Lord. You need to make sure that that is the foundation of your life. And is God the foundation of your life? Prayer reminds us that God is the foundation of our lives. And where what do we do in prayer? We we're we're being founded in in who God is and His love for us. But we're also being reminded of God's love for people. And and that this is a a communal aspect of who we are as Christians. That we're in. In prayer, we're in relationship with God, and we are we are in relationship with other people as we pray for other people, as we pray with other people, and remind, being reminded that we're not in this alone, that that we're a part of a community, we're a part of a family, and that this, again, becomes the foundation of of who we are, and that this is our hope. Yeah, and that God invites
2: us into that whole process, a God who could just do it but you know in in first kings 18 and 19 when elijah prays for rain um god uses the means of the prayer to accomplish that rain coming god could have just brought the rain um he could have and he knew he was going to but elijah prays for rain and that's why it rains and so um you know just because god knows the solution knows what's going to happen in the future so on and so forth just because he's all-powerful and all-knowing uh doesn't mean that prayer is mute um, God invites us to do this for our benefit and because he's a God who's relational and loves and uses that re- relation relationality in order to accomplish his will.
1: Maybe also you're just as we just end here, maybe you're at a place where uh, you just need to put the news down and you need to pick up the Bible and you just need to spend some time with the Lord.
0: Hey, listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this week's podcast. We pray you were challenged and encouraged. To stay in touch with everything that we got going on at AC, please head over to ApologeticsCanada.com and check out our events page. If this episode challenged you or encouraged you or you had some thoughts of your own, feel free to reach out to us at info at com. Make sure you like and subscribe on all your favorite streaming platforms. Engage with us on social media. We love to hear from you, and we appreciate the shares. Let's fight the algorithm together. But until next time, you know the drill. Love God. Love people. Bye for now.